Oh my goodness, we are halfway through the final season of By Order of the Peaky Blinders. Wow, the final year, Josh. I'm Daniel, he's Josh, and uh, we are, we don't know what to think. We don't know, we just watched season six, episode three. If you haven't seen it yet, click pause, go download the VPN, get on it. Our show notes have it, tryexpressvpn.com slash peaky, the only way to watch season six before it comes out on Netflix. But you might be listening in the future, in the summer, where it's already been out on Netflix. You might be binging through it because you're a lucky duck. But Josh, I'll ask you this. Do you think that this is a season so far, now that we've watched three episodes in three weeks, would you have preferred to watch it in a binge style or are you happy with the week by week? I'm very happy with the week by week. I think that the, the wow factor has been there because I've had to wait. Like, for example, after this episode going into next week, I'm like, what the hell is going to happen next? And I'm excited for that suspense. And I, I just, man, I'm, I'm crushed about this episode. I'm, wow. I'm, it's obviously, I mean, we could start with the end right away with what happened. I'm so sad for Tommy. Top five acting performances in that scene alone. Top five acting performances by like doing absolutely nothing. Yeah, I don't think he said one word, right? Yeah. So I'm just really crushed. I didn't think that they were going to kill Ruby. I did not think they were going to kill Ruby. Really sad. You saw raw, powerful emotion from Tommy. And I, and I told you after like 10 minutes of letting it simmer a little bit, I was like, is he relieved a little bit? I almost sensed relief that it was all over with. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, there's so much to get to. We'll definitely have like a long form discussion on that part. Josh and I are going to come back in a few days. We're going to break down our deeper dive over on the Patreon, which for $5, you guys can get our backload of all of the bonus episodes we've ever done. And this is no better time to do it than right now, gearing up for the final few episodes of the final season. And let me just kind of, I mean, this isn't just like a a shameless plug of the Patreon. I honestly really want to emphasize how great those episodes are and how different they are from the instant reactions because I mean, even it being overnight, since we're in, we're in the US of A, and we had a night to sleep on it, the Patreon episodes, we kind of let it simmer for three, four, sometimes, you know, five, I mean, three, three or four days or so. And we really get to d- dive into the actual significance and meaning of scenes and quotes and character developments. And that's what the Patreon is like really important for. And if you really want that kind of content, you're, you're going to want to, you know, pay $5 a month just to listen to that. It's basically $5 a month to just get this whole season of of a peaky you know broken down so i really really recommend it not just trying to like shameless plug our patreon obviously you know we appreciate it but it's it is it is different from the content that you're getting here yep so that's patreon.com slash by order of peaky we make sure to uh include the community in 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 addition to you know everyone can kind of comment and post and that's where the the biggest peaky heads kind of survive and thrive um josh do you know what this episode was called Gold. Gold. Lots of gold. Lots of gold references. Gold. Yes, we've got gold salts. We've got Esme wanting a payout. Another episode that, in my opinion, Josh, was just so smooth. It didn't feel like we were sitting there for two hours like some of last season. You know, like it there were those lengthy, exactly what we were wanting, and it's exactly what Stephen Knight gave us and Anthony Byrne gave us in those those meaty scenes. And we got to really stew with Esme for a couple different scenes. Oh, I love the Esme stuff. 
Let's start at the top, though. And we've got Ruby with foam coming out of her mouth, it looks like. They say that she's got consumption, which I wrote, is that is that being too drunk? But we found out that it's, it's tuberculosis. Um, and Jack Nelson lost a couple siblings to consumption. And obviously with the with the hindsight that we have now that we're going to lose Ruby, watching this episode a second time will surely be like a much different perspective, right? Like watching the beginning of this episode, the wild goose chase that Tommy goes on and the perspective that Lizzie has the whole episode, she's spot on, right? Like Tommy is just wasting his time and he's wasting the minutes he could be spending with his daughter. It's, it's very interesting when you're, as you said, when you watch it in hindsight, how much he wasted his time. And honestly, I mean, I'm not mad at the episode and how it went, but just a waste of a, of a Tommy episode and kind of like the plot relative to Oswald and Jack Nelson. And they were kind of annoyed with that too. Yeah. But uh, Lizzie was right. And, and you and I talked about this time and time again throughout the episode, the COVID undertones, the 2021, the 2022 COVID undertones in this episode were glaring tommy definitely would be an anti-vaxxer who doesn't believe in science who believes in the gypsy ways but then as i kind of sat on it overnight and i woke up this morning i kind of was like i don't know if they were trying to be cringe and and put in those covid undertones as much as this is how it was at that time where people didn't really know about science and you know you know what I mean? Like they didn't know about science. There wasn't developing medicine that there was like, if you think about it in the late 1800s, you know, people were dying of diseases. People didn't know what to do. There weren't these, these ready, you know, available medicines that, that we have today. And as they developed over, you know, the, the, uh, the 1930s, 1940s. So as much as we want to say it was COVID, which it definitely was COVID undertones. It was also just developing medicine at that time. Yes. I, I think it would be, I think it would be naive to mention that it to say that it wasn't involved in some way, right? Oh, at the absolutely. Same time, I I don't want to get kicked off of Spotify, right? So there's no reason for us to go to <laughs> <laughs> right the, Iver, the ivermectin um, connections there of of maybe finding other ways because what do they say, right? Right, right when the the gold salts comes up in conversation everyone kind of puts their head down because Lizzie says everyone she talks to knows somebody who died. And right. it's, got, it's got the ventilator style of, of. Yeah. Effect. And Ada says, I, I mean, later in the episode, Ada says, I knew someone who was old and Lizzie says old and young, it's the same thing, which is very similar to COVID how the old and, and, and the young kind of react differently from those who are, you know, let's say you're my age who are 27 years old, nearing that age. And, you know, they're able to kind of deal with it, but the old and the young, they don't have that healthy, you know, body to, to deal with it. And so it, there was mention of that. And, you know, Lizzie says, you know, the doctors know what it is now. And Tommy's up in the mountains with sorcerer with, with sorcerers. And I don't know what else, what else she said exactly. And it's, and it's, uh, it's, it's very spot on. Yeah. It's, I don't want to, yeah, we don't need to hang on too much on that. I, I have a couple questions early on. And so this is our, our instant reaction that right? we haven't been able to go out and read the reviews. I, I haven't done the deep dives on what some things mean, but early on, Tommy is kind of uh, jabbering on and on in the hospital. And he says two things. And, and the first one is, and you know, he's talking about they're punishing us and he's like, fuck us, fuck us. And then he says, they wouldn't let me pass. And it, it like, there's a couple of these things that are like, have this like outlander style of magic involved where I'm like, what is he talking about? Like, is this all still connected to the mother who walked into the canal, the cut 
and and drowned herself and and then we learn later and, and we'll get to that but i what do you think that was about you were kind of telling me he thinks it's just kind of shitty and then he's like oh i'm just a horse in the crate kicking the crate and i love that line that those were two lines one confused me one you know enlightened me i mean tommy we've we've seen a lot of introspection to the gypsy ways and and you know mentions of, of horses a lot this season and how tommy is a horse like deep down inside he is very he, he identifies with the nature of of a horse and it's taking us back from the very first episode of peaky blinders when he's entering birmingham on horseback and he even gets on a horse in this episode and has been uh, asked him if he can still ride bareback but i i do agree that he's he's just he's just losing his mind you know it's 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 sad to see he's really desperate this episode to save to save ruby and he's just kind of losing his mind is the way that I see that reference to, you know, the horse kicking the crate. Yeah. So this is all cold open before it gets to the Peaky Blinder um, logo. And uh, Tommy does a full body scan and hilariously enough, right? Like nothing's wrong with his lungs. Like that's just so typical guy who smokes so much and yet is super healthy. Um, but we got a really cool camera angle of the red light and whatever Very they cool. did back then to do that, like, you know, CT scan style and MRI um, we learn about the gold salts. That's when we get the Peaky Blinder in the faded white with no music, no music at all, like a very serious storyline. And that's when Josh, you and I are texting about this. And you said, I'm so happy it's not mystical. And I was like, I like the fact that the storyline is a serious, just like piece of the puzzle now. It's not like, oh, Tommy's daughter is sick. So let's bring him back to Birmingham. Like, no, like Tommy's daughter is deathly ill. And it's a thing that's going to keep him from meeting the big meeting with the Mosley, Mitford, Gina, Jack situation. And you said that that was a situation where like, it, it keeps Tommy away. I was so happy that's why they did that. Like give Tommy a situation where he can go be a freak and we can learn about Esme and Esme's probably not gonna come back this season. Great, got a little bit of Esme, I loved it. And then Ada got to fucking eat. It was awesome. Ada, Ada's Polly. Ada is just Polly. She's turning into a, uh a badass fox, as I said. She's dressing elegant and divine. She literally has a fox over her shoulder with that badass hat when she has her meeting with uh, Isaiah. But uh, going back to you know how you said it, I kind of like how Tommy. It's very. It was very humanistic and very realistic that Tommy wasn't able to just like be in two places at one time. That's very easy for a television to show to have Tommy just kind of, you know, transport Game of, Game of Thrones season eight or whatever. Exactly. So it was almost like, oh, yeah, he can't make it. His daughter's sick. You know, it seemed almost very realistic that that, that would happen in real life where someone has to postpone a meeting. That meeting also had very Game of Thrones. I mean, a, a Sopranos vibes with, with you, you didn't watch Sopranos, but there's always like these meets going down with like different different uh, people that they have business with and they have to set up a meet, they have to set up a meet and that's exactly what it was. So it was a very cool meeting to have Oswald Mosley, Jack Nelson, Gina, Diana Mitford and Ada all in the same room with big, Ada just stealing the show, Ada just stealing the show. But going back to the full body scan of Tommy, a lot of very uh, interesting undertones with what he's saying when he says, oh, you wanna see what's inside of me you know, God, you know, he was just like talking yeah. to himself a little bit and he's losing his mind even more. And just a very cool, uh, very well acted out and directed scene. The cinematography was great. Just something that I had to point out. You don't hear Tommy uh, talk too much about God. And he kind of says, God help her, right? Like God's right. inside me, God help her. He thinks it's a curse on Ruby, which we later find out like whether Esme's 
completely full of shit, which is a whole nother conversation to have. Like something I didn't think about until this morning was like, she could have totally made up that entire story, right? Totally. Like walk to a grave where she knew that this person was in this gravestone and like just needed money, right? And that's something that Esme, like we know that she didn't like Tommy. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, there were a couple interesting, really interesting, I guess like, webs that that spewed from the diana mitford situation you know she's looking at this vase that has like a man on a horse in it that was awesome and it was great and and all right so let's 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 clear the air right josh had a great prediction early in the season that the poly uh quote from season five would pop up and it did in episodes one and two josh had a great prediction that ada would take the poly role and it did daniel had a nice prediction that Diana and Tommy clicked immediately. And Diana is clearly head over heels for Tommy. He's like, she's, in, she's, she's like, where are you, Tommy? Thomas, that's what she said. She literally told Ada that Tom, that your brother changed my life. In, in, like, in like a five minute like, meeting. They talked for five minutes. <laughs> she's seen him like once in person and he's changed her life. He would change my life too if I saw him in person. I don't blame you, Diana Mitford, Amber Anderson. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe Amber is just an Amber with uh, Killian as well. You never know. I was gonna say I think Diana Mitford might change my life as well, <laughs> or Amber's version of her because I am a big fan. I, I think the show is just filled to the brim with attractive people, and that meeting itself was like, bam, bam, like everyone was just firing on all cylinders. I love that Diana was like, ooh, she dresses well take her coat and take note of what tag it is. Because Diana Mitford feels to me like a character that is not socially connected, right? Like she might have a little bit of social awkwardness. So she's someone that smartly would be like, hey, Ada dresses well, I'm just gonna only buy from Nordstrom or I'm only gonna go to Zara because that's where Ada shops at. And so Ada shows up and you got that awesome camera angle shot that you really wanted to talk about through the mirror. Of, of cool. Diana waiting for Ada. I almost want to know what there has to be some, you know, significance to that, you know, looking at, kind of like looking at yourself in the mirror, but then seeing someone else in the back. It was, it was really cool. There's got to be some, some reason for that. I would love to hear Anthony Burns reasoning for that, for that camera angle, unless he just thought it was cool. But um, you really get to see Diana Mitford's suaveness here and how she's so similar to Oswald Mosley, like scarily similar. You know that the the saying how you know usually opposites attract. Oswald and Diana are very similar, so I don't really I I don't know how much they really you know mesh as a couple. Obviously they they do, um, but definitely something to watch out for in the later parts of the season is when Ma, when Oswald you know finds out that Diana is in Amber with Tommy, how that affects their alliance and how things are going forward. Um, but. Definitely really wish Tommy was in that meet, but uh, definitely very cool. Yeah, something tells me that Oswald's not going to worry too much because he's already like still sleeping with other women, right? Because Diana yeah. makes a comment about the cheap perfume that she can smell on him. Um, she is very quick. She's very quick-witted. She immediately sets the tone with Ada, making her feel very weak, kind of like what she did with Lizzie last season, when she's like, so Lizzie, do you know why FDR is important? And here with Ada... She basically just lays out and she says, so Ada, like, do you think this is a social meeting? Like, what is wrong with you? Like, this is clearly yeah. a little bit more than a social meeting. And it's funny because Tommy, all we got from was, was the Tommy calling Ada and asking for a favor. So Ada does say like, hey, I don't know anything. I'm just doing my brother a favor because he's dealing with my sick niece 
on the other side, I'm starting to figure out, I think, so Josh and I were very confused on what Tommy saw on the ground when he's like, it cuts back and forth this scene with the Ada before Oswald and um, before, um, excuse me, Jack and Gina show up. Tommy sees like a scarf on the ground, right? Like a red scarf. And we're like, is that blood? Is it a mine? I think it's a sign that the Lees are camped. I think that's what it is. Now that I think about I, it. Yeah, that, that probably makes sense as to like, oh, he saw that and he's like, oh, I know they're here. And Esme kept on talking about how she wanted to be found. So she maybe maybe had planted yeah. that in the ground to, to have Oh, Tommy she did be- wear, right? Like a bandana of sorts a lot. I think so. I think so. So that's kind of what that meant. Uh, you and I, you know, talked about this. We really loved the Western vibes. You know, we had known there was going to be, you know, Asian Western kind of undertones and, and scenes. And so we're really happy to see that. That was really cool. Cool to see the mountains, you know, being being in, the, in, in that area again for a long period of time was very cool. But I mean, that that was very interesting. Leads us into the Esme plot. That was crazy seeing Esme. Esme's in charge. Tommy says, you know, as she kind of says, I'm not the one in charge here. And Tommy's like, I know you're in charge. Come on, stop it. Let's, let's cut the funny business. Yeah. Let's get- that was awesome. Um, I, I'm really upset because I spent this morning trying to look up, you know, our, our girl Angie with, with Peaky Blinder season six. I am so confident she posted something in 2021 or maybe if it was even late 2020, that was like a, an article or a quote from Stephen Knight or Anthony Byrne, I don't remember which one, saying that they are going to have some sort of tribute to like old Asian Westerns. And I, there, was a, there was a specific cinematographer or director that they were going to have like a hat tip towards. And I can't find it. And I messaged Angie and she doesn't remember. And I'm like, God damn it. And I Googled and I searched and I'm like looking it all up and I cannot find it. But I am so confident that that was a thing. And this is the scene. The, 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 it's so obvious, right? With the, the music when Esme's introduced, the tight zooms to Esme's face, to Tom's face, to the wind, almost like there's a fucking um, tumbleweed rolling through the middle yep. of them. It's a showdown and it is well worth the wait. And I love that they're cutting it back and forth, right? We've got Ada and um, Diana and, and Ada's like, well, I'm sure you read all those novels. And Diana's like, I only read porn and politics. Which she's crazy. She then tries to like basically fuck Ada and Ada's like, you're a whore. And then she's like, oh, I haven't offered you a drink yet. Like two awesome scenes between four amazing characters. And that's when Ada again drops like the circle scene, right? The circle mention. She's like, Tommy's right, man. This is just a fucking circle. You guys are crazy. That's like a, a whole nother, what do you want to call it? Like a whole nother ode to the, sexual spectrum right like a, there was a big mouth episode on netflix uh, a funny nicole show where they talk about all the different uh sexualities now and the gender roles and that's what that circle refers to and then before we get into more esme josh that's when diana drops the big line yep. the big line when she says listen when the great, the great cleansing, cleansing comes i'm gonna stand up for you gypsies and say that only the jews should die and that's when josh right. flipped out i flipped out she says you know, I always thought that the gypsies are the ones that should be spared and she's going to stand up for the gypsies. And I can't believe we did not put this together that in the Holocaust, the gypsies were also cleansed, not just, I mean, you know, the Jews, gays, you know, blacks, all, it was, it was obviously mostly the Jews, but the gypsies were also a large part of, of, of the, 
the cleansing of the not uh, for for the Nazis. And I've just kind of thought like, what if the all the the Shelbys get taken out by Hitler? And I mean, I guess Oswald as well, because they're gypsies and they get taken to the camps. And that's how we kind of end, you know, the season. Obviously, it's probably not going to happen, but it is a possibility that we see Adolf Hitler later in the season trying to take out the Shelbys because they're because they're gypsies. Like It's something that we've never thought about. I've never put it together. And I'm so upset at myself for that. Yes, it's something that we can kind of go. But I li- I'm looking it up. There were at least like a million gypsies that were killed oh, yeah, in absolutely. the Holocaust. No, I absolutely. know. It's, like, it's, cra- it's crazy. It's funny, too, because Oswald, he's got his perfect little specimen because Tom is like the only Aryan of all of these gypsies, right? Like the blue eyes and the light skin and the fair muscles and all of that. But yet at the end of the day, he is still part of the cleansing for Hitler. So it's like, it's right. a great perspective, something they, they could have left out and left it to the, the inf- like the, you know, the implied nature. And instead they, they, they put it in there and uh, I just, I, yeah, I just, I just, we were like, I'm wow. Kind of, I'm kind of mad at myself that we never thought about that because it, it, it was gypsies, Jews and everyone else. And obviously you and I are Jewish. So we know about the Holocaust. We're very, you know, well-versed in the Holocaust and we've studied it, you know, throughout our lives, you know, when growing up as Jews. So just something that, that, that we missed, definitely missed and sorry that we never talked about it, but you know, I, I, I would just look out for that as a sleeper to kind of rise into the plot a little bit, just, just maybe. And, and almost, almost on purpose, they go right from that into the most gypsy scene of the season. Yeah, exactly. Which, it was, it was ironic. Which, yeah. Which is them speaking Romany. Tom is talking to these guys that, that are like, Esme's not here. And then she's like, you know, she is the widow of my brother or she, or widower of my brother. And they're like, Oh, the fucking Diddy Koi peaky Diddy Koi. It's been a while since we heard Diddy Koi. That I think like Diddy season Koi. four, right? Like the Italians yeah, called them that. I'm pretty sure. And then we got it earlier on the show as well. But just to, took just watching that scene just reminded me of the wedding of of the of the 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 pairing of John and Esme when they yeah. when they gone super super drunk to kind of just you know just go with it and just do it. Um, that was a great scene. Oh, I miss John. Yeah, and Esme, you know, she's clearly still grieving, by the way. Still grieving for sure over, over John's death. She hasn't remarried. She hasn't been with anyone else. She tells Tommy later on that he should go see John's grave. You know, just definitely, you know, just brought me back to John and how, how I wish he was still here with us. Um, and definitely, you know, Tommy still does, and so does Esme. But uh, Esme, Esme stole the show in this episode. Her the, the the actress, I don't remember what her name is exactly, but yeah, she Amy, was great. Amy Fifian Edwards, I believe. Yeah, she was she was really great. Um, she you know mentions the petrol again and she says, you know, Tommy, Tommy Shelby, OBE, MP, you know, used to have eyes in the back of your head. You know, what, yeah, what happened? She gets in the she's car. Shocked. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah. She's just very shocked with like, you know, what's wrong with him and he he doesn't look the same and if Esme can see it, then that's when we know it's true. A little bit of a side tangent here, since we're talking about Joe Cole, who plays John Shelby. He is in a brand new Netflix movie. You ready for this? This is sick. It's based off of a true story of two explorers who are left behind trying to map out all of Greenland. And do you know who the two main characters are? It's Joe Cole, a.k.a. John Shelby, and it's Nikolai Kosterwalda, a.k.a. Jamie Lannister. Ah, uh, I love that. So love I've added that, that. to it's my all watch coming list. together. 
Yeah, it's that, all that's coming together. So we also cool. need to keep an eye out for Gangs of London to come back. I mean, that's yeah. What's that's, up with what's up with Gangs of London? We have we know they're filming. That's about all we know. We just know at this time it's just tough for this stuff to come together, man. It's just it's really tough, especially especially with uh with uh, COVID. So, um, yeah, uh, you never know. All right. So Tommy kind of makes a reference like he wasted petrol to try to get here. And uh, I don't know about you, but like, I think he's starting to early on figure out that like, I don't think Esme is going to help me. And that's when Esme turns it on is like, Ooh, I could take you somewhere. And now that I talk through it more, I'm thinking that Esme was just kind of dragging him along. Um, I don't think because like she just made up some Emerald curse. She obviously knew about grace right like you know i'm sure she found out about it um she didn't know that I mean, Polly was dead though she didn't make up the emerald curse i mean that tommy gave that woman no, no. I, i'm talking about she made up the fact that like some girl i think maybe she made up the fact that this girl died from an, an emerald necklace right you don't think so you think you that was a real you, story you don't remember when Tommy gave the Barwell woman, the old woman, the sapphire that he thought killed Grace from Tatiana in season three and the Russians. Okay. And that's what, that's what she mentioned. That's, that's what that, that whole thing is, 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 is uh, referencing. Right. I'm just, I'm just thinking that maybe Esme is just saying things that Tommy needs to hear. No, I think that Esme actually might believe that that actually, because they believe in these curses and how the woman, the, the girl was coughing, and the second she started, yeah. she was dying, she threw, she threw the uh, emerald, the, the uh, sapphire yeah. in the cut, and they believe that this was a curse, and that's why Tommy gave it away, because that, you know, what he, is what he thinks killed Grace. Grace says, it wasn't, it wasn't the sapphire that killed me, by the way. So it's kind of this, like, back and forth between believing in this gypsy curse and then right. believing that your own actions are the result of all this stuff happening. And that's right. the, that's that's the conflict that we as as viewers have to deal with what do we believe it's open to interpretation i don't think that stephen knight is ever going to solve that you know conundrum as to whether or not this curse is actually real you know these people obviously you and i don't believe in gypsy curses we don't believe in magic and mystical stuff but some people do believe in that stuff and and the afterlife and you know all that kind of stuff so i think that that's the point of that plot is just kind of showing that tommy believes in this curse and the second he finds out that there's this potential of a curse, he says that he will buy, you know, he'll yeah. buy this woman. 10,000, yeah. Plus 10,000 pounds, he'll buy her off. He'll do whatever it takes. And he's losing his mind because he believes that that is, that, that it's right there, that he has the solution to curing Ruby by just buying this woman off and having her lift this curse. And only woman can, can place curses. You know, we know, we know that with Polly. Polly mentions that a lot. So that's what I think that purpose of that plot was. I just loved this, like intertwining, like going from the Tommy Esme back to the meeting, back to the Tommy Esme. When Tommy mentions that Polly's dead, because you know uh, Esme's like, why can't Polly just do it? And he's like, Polly's dead. And the, the the look on Esme's face. But then we find out that she's like, she hated Polly. She's like, oh, hearing that name is like a school bell ringing in my mind. Do this, do that follow the rules like Esme is finally free so I'm happy for her um it then goes right back into the Oswald situation where Jack Nelson walks into the room and is like first off my niece Gina and he, he says it very uh very like 
intimately. Like the way that he talks about Gina is certainly in well, a, they, in a they, sensual tense. They walk and, into that room, you know, locked in arm, giggling with each other. Yeah. As like if emoting, emoting sexual energy. It's, it's definitely odd. Uh, really odd. And if, if, if we get some more of that in the next episode, we'll know that there is potentially some incestual, you know, connection between those two. Who knows? Yeah, but, uh, I think I think Gina personally is just that's the kind of person she is. I think she just is a sexual person. I don't think she's having sex with her uncle. I'm just gonna make that clear right, now. Right. I don't think that, that I, I also agree. Um, but we'll I don't talk think about that, that was later. I don't think that, that was also like I mean back back in the day, like you know, centuries ago, that was a thing. I just don't think at this time incest was necessarily a thing. Oh, we're in the 1900s now. So um, I don't think, but there's, it's just the way Gina is. I agree. So you never know, but that kind of leads us into this meet, as you said, and Freshville steals the show. Jack Nelson steals the show. You can see the confidence exuding from him. He doesn't care. I also just love the difference between, you know, Oswald Mosley, Ada and Diana's, you know, stature and the way that they're like sitting, you know, they're very proper. It's kind of how the English are. They're, they're much more proper than us Americans. And you see Jack Nelson just like slouched in the couch. He's, he's, he's obviously a very tall figure. As I said, he reminds me a lot of Luca Changretta, very tall and slender, but he's just slouched. He doesn't care. He's, he's not showing any manners whatsoever because he wants to show, hey, I get what I want. Yeah, my two favorite lines from Freshville here was the first one, his introduction to meeting who is he calls the future prime minister of the dominions around here. And he goes, my, my niece Gina tells me that all Shelby's are witches. And I need to find out right now who is a Shelby. And that's when Ada kind of stands up and he's like, Oh, you're the sister. And, and the other favorite line I had from him was, um, I, we'll get to that in a second, because it's funny. We talk about sapphires and then he calls out Diana Mitford. He's like, oh, the woman who's been running around London with the amphetamines and emeralds. And, mm. and Oswald's like, well, I like her for her brain. And he goes, men bore me. Ada, yeah. do you have a man? And I loved it because she goes, I used to be married, but as you know, I still talk to him a lot because he's dead. Mm. And I was, I was cracking up. It, 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 just beautiful writing by Stephen Knight. The writing was exquisite in this meet. So many one-liners, zingers, you know, you know, clapbacks, Ada, Ada's not phased at all by, by Freshville. One thing I noticed is Oswald was put in his place. Yes. I have never seen him cower like that in fear a little bit. He almost seemed like he was scared. Like he was, first of all, he was annoyed. He, he was very, very adamant and very vocal about how he was annoyed that Tommy wasn't there, regardless, regardless of the fact that Tommy was tending to his sick daughter. As Freshville, I mean, as uh, Nelson says, you know, I would do the same if I was in his position. So we get some empathy. Don't know if it was genuine or not. But Oswald is very, very quiet throughout this meet. I don't know if you kind of got that sense as well, if he was a little scared. He wasn't. He was honestly like, and this is the second episode in a row that he like is spending more time defending Diana than standing up for himself, which I'm not upset with it, right? Like as a, you know, as, as a non-sexist person myself, like I would be doing similar things. I'd be right. standing up for the woman that I want to run the country with. Um, and I don't want to stand here defending Oswald, obviously. Right. Um, I mean, and Nelson calls him the future prime minister, obviously sarcastically, it seems. Um, Oswald just kind of doesn't really say anything about that. And also one thing that we kind of going back to the introduction with Ada and Gina, Gina says, she's the smart one of the family. 
kind of, you know, another jab at uh, Tommy and everyone else in the family. So just, just a great meet. Nelson, you know, really wants his drink. He's like, why don't I have a drink? He gets his drink and he says, um, why is there not ice in it? Obviously wants it on the rocks. He doesn't want it neat. Kind of remind me of the beginning of season five when we first meet Oswald with Tommy, when Oswald is pissed the F off that he doesn't have his whiskey. He's like, where the fuck is my whiskey? Yeah, so that, that's a that, good call. that was purposeful. That was purposeful, a good callback to that scene. And then my other favorite line from Freshville here, um, or I should say Nelson, is uh, when the women are kind of talking through some things and he is like, what is going on? He's like, wow, English upper-class women can do some things with just skin, bones, and arrogance. And maybe that's a lesson that like, hey, some women can do some things in America too. And obviously Eleanor is going to, in the next few years, make some strides and, and really pump up the fact that women can be political. But I don't know if they're necessarily there yet. I'm not sure right. time timeline wise, um, but that's when Ada steps up and she goes, listen, guys, like I'm in control of this meeting. I get to choose what's going on. This is my doing. This is my home. We're going to have a meeting where the real business can be done when like minds from Ireland can come into the picture too. And that's when, um, oh, that's when, that's when like everyone kind of like sits back and that's when you talk about the slouching and they all just kind of say, okay, I guess like, I guess we're going to do what she says because everyone wants the same thing here. Ada doesn't know that Tommy is necessarily doing all this like under right. the guise of Winston Churchill, which is what we're assuming. Right. Ada just does a great job. She does a great job. And I think that honestly, from this meeting, she gained more confidence, you know, right off, right from the outset when she's talking before, I mean, Nelson really even, is there she says the the shelby's will be the are the ones with the power in this meeting she's confident she comes out of that meeting later on with her meeting with with, with, with isaiah obviously isaiah is not someone who's going to scare ada but we see this suave and foxness from ada that we've never seen before and she is polly polly's a, a polly was a fox and now Ada's the fox and i think that this meeting kind of bolstered that a little bit all right we gotta keep we gotta keep on moving because uh there's so much to talk about in this episode. Um, we talked a lot about like the, the whole situation with Tommy and Esme. Is there anything else that you kind of want to like touch on there with, with the, the, the whole, like, uh, there's just so much to cover. I want to do so much in our, in our later week yeah. coverage when we can get a little bit deeper into it. Um, we'll, we'll touch on that in a little bit. There's still the whole Hayden stag situation that we've got yep. to touch on. Ada comes into, we haven't seen Shelby Company Limited yet. And this is episode three. And so we finally see what the offices look like as Ada strides in with her gangster hat and her fox or mink around her chest. And, uh, and we, we, we get to re-meet Isaiah this season, an older yep. Daryl McCormick. And no, still no Finn. Still no Finn. What's still going no on Finn. with that? I, I just think that they wanted him out of the family business and they, they know that it's just dangerous and they kind of want him to wean away from that. And I think that's, that's just all that that is. I, I don't think, think something's going to happen. I disagree. I think Finn's up to something and they've got him on some task, some mission. That would, that would be interesting. I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting that we saw Isaiah and we didn't see Finn. You know, well, Billy, Billy grade was there. In, in the office. He was, he's on IMDB. So he must've been one of the guys oh, slouching. Interesting. Um, just kind of right. head down doing says, his work. Yeah, I mean, she says, you know, oh, hold on, I got to call you back. The boss's sister walked in and she's like, for the next five days, I'm your boss. 
just another, you know, reassurance that she's Polly because whenever the men are away, Polly is the boss, boss of, of the ship. So she's, she's epic there. And, you know, Isaiah is also really epic in that scene. And he says, you know, she says, Oh, like you better do what I, what I say, or else I'm going to tell Tommy that you've been placing private bets. You know, that was great. Yeah. She had races the- that we've been fixing. <laughs> but she had him by the balls. And the reason why this all started and he was kind of doubting her is because she sees a very important note on today. And that's that they have to go to the Liverpool docks and basically kill this man named Hayden Stagg. And the reason why we know that they're going to kill him is because of the black star. That is a callback to the end of season two, which is what Tommy put next to the calendar when he had to murder that, you know, Irish officer or British officer. It was um, on behalf of the whole bullshit with Churchill and Campbell and all of that. So the Black Star callback was a great one. But Ada's like, you know what? We're not going to kill him. You're just going to beat him up, Arthur. And so that was the message that that Isaiah had to uh, watch Arthur and, and keep track of him. And he kind of references that Arthur's been sleeping on the ground and he smells really bad. And that's when Josh had a great call. He said, it's probably Stephen Graham. Yep. This Hayden yep. Stag guy. And, yeah, I mean, at first we it, didn't know that was even like a like a name. Like, I thought it was like a location. I'm like, oh, that's definitely an individual, you know. And I was like, it probably is Stephen Graham. I mean, there's this guy they're gonna they're gonna try to you know beat up, and he has some focal point in the plot. It's probably him. And I mean, we can go right into that scene. Yeah, take me through it. I mean, first of all, it's the cleanest that we've seen Arthur. So it seems like the, his little you know strategy of getting clean by sleeping in in the sleeping on the floor and not letting him go out, you know, at night when he's, when he's getting that urge to go to Chinatown, seems like it's working. He's very clean. We get Paul Anderson, you know, hyping up Isaiah and his cousins, you know, he, he's saying, you know, we're still Peaky Blinders, you know, Peaky Blinders are supposed to look like this. The Peaky Blinders are back that, you know, season one, season two vibes of having them like on a, on a task to go take someone out and beat someone up was just something we haven't seen in a while, getting away from the politics a little bit. Arthur and, and Isaiah and his cousins go into that little warehouse. They're, they're looking for Hayden Stagg. And I mean, it's just good to see Paul Anderson back. He had an epic monologue throughout that scene. He had some really good lines and it was good to see him because you and I were kind of sad that we hadn't gotten any Arthur really in, in, in episodes one and two. And so you started this episode. And I've been waiting for this moment. You started our entire podcast episode by saying that the final scene was a top five acting moment by Tommy yeah. Shelby this monologue by Paul Anderson and then to come back with such a legend in Stephen Graham and he Stephen is, Graham was amazing oh my god that's a that's maybe my favorite acted scene by two individuals in the six amazing. seasons of this show yeah I mean Stephen Graham literally is face to face with Paul and with with Arthur I mean sorry I keep on talking about the actors because they're, they're, they're so good. So Hayden, Hayden and Arthur are the other characters. So obviously, you know, going to the plot of Hayden Stagg, Hayden Stagg essentially is stealing from the Peaky Blinders. He's stealing, you know, he's, he's stealing their, their opium. I'm, I'm almost positive as, as uh, what he was saying. Yes. And he's, so what, what's, he's, dealing I mean, what, in, he's dealing in the pubs, right? Right. So I, I think there's a combination of things that could be going on. We're still going to maybe learn. At first, I thought that he was taking a cut of the money they were selling his opium, the, the Shelby opium, and he was taking his own cut. But then maybe I'm thinking, okay, maybe he's taking the opium and selling them separately. Right. Um, and, and Isaiah's cousins come and they are menacing men. The, the new age of the Peaky Blinders there. They're units. But They're once units. again, we are cutting. We are cutting. We're coming from this 
to the Lizzie Ada stuff when when Lizzie kind of me- mentions that she she needs a normal man, and that's when they talk about the man in the mountains and come on, like medicine is so advanced now, blah blah blah. Then we're cutting to Tommy and the horse with Esme and Tommy threatening to hang her if this is all fake. And then we come right back to the and then we get the the meat of the Paul wanting to beat up Hayden or Arthur wanting to beat up a Hayden and just to find out that Stephen Graham, and I, I kind of text this, I'm like, I have a feeling he's going to be a good guy. And he kind of was, right? It kind of was. He's stealing from the piggy blinders. But, I mean, this guy literally talked his way out of a freaking ass beating and potentially death. He literally talked his way out of it by saying, hey, you know, I, you know, he, he mentions his time in France, so he's also a war man. And that's kind of something that Arthur connected with him. He saw it in his eye. He's like, oh, he's a man who also fought in France and who also dealt with addiction. You know, you know, yep. Hayden Stagg mentions that it's that the morphine is just up the up the river. You know, that's the stuff that he was on and how he was addicted to. And he's like, oh, you know, you could still be on a straight plane. You don't have to do this. And he talks his way out of death. And Arthur feels him. And I think that honestly, this one talk by Hayden Stagg is going to be Arthur's cleanse. Like it's going to be his so. personal rehab. And that was just so great by, by Stephen Graham, by Stephen Knight, this monologue. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see Stephen Graham again the whole season. And his, his sole purpose was this three minutes of just pure speaking. Like I, I, I wouldn't be surprised because it was so masterful. Yeah, I'm a little... I'm a little uh, on the other side. I think he's going to be a, a main character in this season because he's too big of a name to bring yeah. in. Um, I, just, I just don't know where his plot fits in with it. To be well, honest. I think maybe he could be like Arthur's best friend. Like, remember they were saying Arthur's best friend has recently has been Oswald Mosley. And, yeah. and that's a bad influence. So maybe this guy will be like Arthur's new best friend. Uh, maybe he'll kind of have a turn into, you know, getting a bigger job you know, maybe now he'll sell opium for the Peakies or something like that. But what he did do here, and Josh and I were a little confused, so I had to rewatch this scene a couple times. What he did here was connect to Arthur because he said, he said, they hooked me on morphine when I was in France and the war was over, but I didn't even know. So right. that's kind of like, I was a victim of the doctors, which you can blame the doctors or, you know, you can blame the medicine, whatever it is, you know, like at the end of the day, sometimes you need to give someone morphine, sometimes you don't. but He's like, it was 1924 before I knew it, you know, I, it was years later and, you know, now I'm, I'm finally kind of weaning off of it, but it's so hard. It's such a tough life. I need to make money. And I just texted, I was like, this guy is an award-winning stud. Josh he, like, so good. He was, he, some, some lines in here were amazing. Like he says, your own blood betrays you because it demands dilution. Who even thinks that, about at that? It's poetry. That's just, it's, it's poetry. poetry. He says, I feel bad for you. I deserve a beating. You know, it's, it's just an insane scene. And uh, I already hate Isaiah. Like him punching Stephen Graham in the face makes Isaiah one of my least favorite characters of the season. Um, maybe a little <laughs> bit of a teaser towards our Friday winners and losers. Who knows? Um, I love it. He has, uh, Josh goes, Arthur has a heart of gold when he's texting. He does. Me, which is very does. gold, another gold reference. That's true. That's true. He, he has this big heart where he like deep down doesn't want to cause harm. He's, he's, he's ordered to do it. It's, it's a, it's a Peaky Blinders order that he has to beat this man, but he has such a big heart that deep down, like he's, he doesn't want to hurt a fly, even though he does hurt 
many flies throughout his time as a Peaky Blinder and throughout the show. But he does, he sees this man, this man is trying to help him and he doesn't want to beat him and he lays off and that just shows his big heart. I think that was the purpose. Oh, so here we go. So now we get to the, the, the final eight minutes, which is where Esme gets to the place to make the deal. And what I was confused about is when you saw that, it was Barwell, right? Like Bethany Barwell. Yes. So I looked it up and Bethany Boswell was the Coach character Boswell. in season three, but I swear the gravestone said Barwell. It did. Well, they also mentioned that it's the Lees and the Bars and, and the Barwells. Right. Are the, are, so this, are the is, this is where I am a little suspect. So I'm looking up right now, right? Bethany Boswell is the old gypsy woman living in Wales who Thomas seeks out to find if the sapphire he gave to Grace was cursed. Oh, it's that's weird. It's weird. It's it's weird. Help help us out, guys, because that's something that if if someone has any insight to that, please please provide it to us. I mean, we watched this 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 is our first time breaking it down since we watched it. So, I mean, we don't have like and we didn't like meet up and talk about the plots. I'm I'm a little confused if that's the case. Please, someone just help us out there, and we'll well. we'll try I, to, I think we're gonna learn. We'll try to do our research too. No, I think we're gonna learn as the season goes on. But like, I'm looking up an article right now on Express. Um, .co.uk that's like who is Connie Barwell's mother in Peaky Blinders so could Connie Barwell's mother be Bethany Boswell like that's the who thing knows? that's and and Boswell is the same last name that Polly's mother has and it's like right. and, and now it's like Evan Evande however you pronounce it Evadne Barwell is the one that Tommy has to go seek out but it's definitely Barwell. I'm looking at a picture right now. Connie Barwell is the grave that Tommy inexplicably picks up and throws. Right. Third. And it just, it's just weird. It's just weird. It's, is it a plot hole or is it on purpose? Um, The seven-year-old girl died. Mother threw it in the cut and probably cursed it. But does that mean that Ruby, like, I, I, you know what? That's just one of those things. Like Ruby didn't put on the sapphire, you know? So like, is it just no, because it's it, Tommy's daughter reaching seven years old? There's a, the, the science part that Esme hits him at the end is just hilarious, right? Like science is winning over the angels now. Right, right. It's kind of like- Almost telling you like, don't listen to anything we, I just said. Right, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, we're gypsies and we believe in this. I mean, it's essentially it's their religion, but it's like in reality, science is gonna prevail at the end of the day and science is real. And these people with medical degrees would go to school you know, for however many years they do, they know what they're doing. It's what they do for a profession. So just kind of just trust it. Maybe it works. Like maybe it is, it is the cure. Maybe it's not all this gypsy magic, which I loved. They were kind of bringing it back to reality there. Oh, and then she doesn't want money. She wants gold, which uh, gold pops up again. And I don't know how Tommy's going to get her gold, but I, I have a feeling that that's the end of Esme. Maybe we get her in the last episode of this last season. And then Josh, you want to take us through the heartbreaking finish? Tommy arrives, you know, on the steps of, of the hospital to see Ruby. Finally gets there. It, it's and Lizzie comes out and she says, Where the F have you been? She's gone. At 517, she she died. She mentioned it again. At 517, she was asking for you. She wanted to let you know that she loves you. And Tommy is just stone cold and he's stuck in his boots in the pouring rain. A stone cold gaze. 
doesn't know what to think. You know, Lizzie kind of says, like, where were you? Like, you were in the mountains, you know, gallivanting around town, and you weren't here for your daughter in her last breaths. And it just got so bad that she died. It's just, it's just Tommy's reaction in that scene is crushing. Like, I was texting you. I was like, oh, my God, I'm so crushed. I'm so crushed. And you weren't as crushed, which is, which is fine. I wasn't as I wasn't crushed that like Ruby passed. I was like more crushed that like for Tommy, like I felt, of course, I, I, I felt it. Like I felt how destroyed he was inside. Like, Oh my God. But then as he, as it cuts away at the very last second, he closes his eyes and like sighs. And I wonder if it's almost a sense of relief for him that he doesn't have to deal with this and he can kind of just go on. I mean, obviously he's, he's sad and he doesn't want his, he doesn't want his daughter to go, but sometimes these things take a toll on you so much that it's almost not worth it in that sense. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. Like I am sad and I'm shocked that they did it, but I'm certainly relieved. Like I think it's definitely better for the finish of this show to no longer have the sick daughter that would like loom and hang over. Now we can just get like, Tommy vengeance fury dealing with the shit you know like no longer searching for a, a, a you know a cure like I don't I don't know if he's gonna go chase after this Barwell woman now you know like it's possible maybe he'll send someone maybe that's where Finn comes in right like maybe Finn has to go on the search for Barwell uh probably that would not. be interesting <laughs> but yeah, like that would be interesting he, I hope he just like I don't know. I, I don't want to say things that are like inconsiderate. I just am happier that there isn't a sick daughter hanging over the last three episodes of this final season. No, definitely. Show. It has nothing to do with us like being happy about death, but in terms I just, of- We just uh, didn't get too much of a connection to Ruby. Like some people might've no, felt yeah. very close to her. I did not at all. Like she said like five words this whole season and only like eight words all of last season. No, it's definitely obviously like we have remorse for a child dying and we have remorse for those times, you know, that two- Tuberculosis was a, a, a thing that plagued a lot of people and it killed a lot of people because they didn't have the cures. And it's very similar to COVID. Like it, it really is as much as we want to cringe about it, that like there's this thing that people didn't know about and they didn't know how to, how to cure it. And so that's basically kind of similar to, to what happened with Ruby. And it's very sad, but I agree. We didn't have a very you know emotional connection to her plot is what we're trying to say. But for example, I mean, I was telling you, I was crushed. I mean, when Khaleesi died in Game of Thrones, I was like, I was so upset, even though the season was not great. And even, even though I didn't like her character arc and I was like upset with how her character arc was developing, I was so, I developed such an emotional connection over the years to Khaleesi. Oh, I was devastated. I was so sad. Like I was like actually sad for like a day. Like I had a pit in my stomach and that's what I felt yesterday when I was watching Tommy's reaction, I was devastated and crushed that he was feeling that way. And it was just such a good acting job by Killian Murphy to make me feel that way. And I know that there were other audience members who also felt a similar way. Ooh. And then Josh, we don't get red right hand. I texted you too. I'm like, no way we're getting red no right way. now. No way. What, but did, we what get, did we get? Let's hear it. We got a, a great, great song called Slack. Um, it was just a kind of like a, like a, an instrumental song. Um, but it was just like very eerie. It was very dark and it was, by, it was by a cool... auto log slack, by yes, auto log. slack right. by auto log, 
really good. It kind of plays for the last like six or seven minutes of it and goes into the credits. I watched all of the credits just to kind of hear the development of the song. I watched I should, all the credits for a different reason. Yeah. I was just state. I was just set. I, I was like, wow. You know, you know like, I, I I was like, oh my god, my, my jaw was dropped. You know just what it wasn't was? Expecting that. It was like Chernobyl when I would watch episodes yes. of Chernobyl, and we've referenced yes. this in the pod before. That's you were just what like, it felt like. You're like, whoa, and you just sit That's there. That's what it yeah. felt like, and it was very and and that music was was identical to like the the credits of Chernobyl when it's just yeah. like very like dark and dull. Like it was very dull, but it yeah. was perfect for the scene. So just masterful job to pick that song in that particular moment and just you know really just no fucks given by Stephen knight to kill off a child and that's what makes piggy blinders elite television like you've all have heard me say this many times before this is what separates piggy from other from other shows is they don't give a fuck they'll kill off anybody and they'll even kill off a sickly a sickly child of the main character so we know that Stephen knight's not holding back and i can i can assure you that is not the last, you know, tragic death that we're going to get in this television show for the rest of the season as we wind down the yep. second half of the season. And we've got so many more questions, and we're going to talk about it later in the week. Where's Charlie? What's his role going to be? We haven't met Conrad Khan's character yet. I think he's the only one, him and, and Packy's daughter, the real-life daughter, who's going to play Johnny Dog's daughter. Those are two, like, casting names that we haven't yet gotten introduced to yet. So those are the only two that I'm still waiting for. Um, but there is a lot. And I want to hear from you guys before we record on Thursday or Friday. So get your messages in, shoot us the mailbag, email us at bootpeakyblinders at gmail.com. Comment on Facebook, or as always, the Patreon is wide open for you. Patreon.com slash by order of Peaky. That's going to wrap up this episode. We almost got to the hour mark today, Josh. It was a fantastic season three so good. or season six, episode three breakdown called gold. And it's sad. We have three more left. It's it's sad, but I think that these next three episodes are just primed for ultimate success. Like we're gonna get, we're, you know how usually like the penultimate episode is like the best episode of the season or like a finale. Like I think four, five, and six are gonna be the three best episodes of Peaky Blinders that we're ever gonna get. Like like two point six level of Peaky Blinders, four point six level Peaky Blinders. Like it's gonna be so good. And I am so happy. And back to your point, like I'm happy that we're not binging it and we're watching it this way to generate that suspense and to, yes. and, and to generate that kind of, you know, aura around these episodes because they're going to be amazing and they've set it up so well. You know, season five was perfect setting up into now, like after watching it, which we'll kind of break down later on when we talk about uh, on, on, on the Patreon. But I'm just so pumped and just really happy with how the season's going so far. Yeah, I mean, it, it would be impossible. I don't know how we'd be able to do a podcast. Like, that's why Stranger Things gets so much criticism from people in, in this industry because they don't allow you to, like, suspensely watch it because you've got to compete with people with spoilers and people that have watched it all and maybe someone's three episodes in, maybe someone's five episodes in. Now we can cover one episode at a time, tiptoe towards the edge. And then when you guys, who are maybe watching on Netflix, you guys can listen to this at your own pace, podcast it once a week or three times a week, however you want to listen to the episodes. We're going to have our deep dive for you on Patreon later in the week and our winners and losers for you right here on the Apple, Spotify, Google, Anchor side of things. Thank you so much for joining us. He's Josh, I'm Daniel, and we binge so you don't have to.